Hey friend, Kat Harris here. I wanted to let you know I just wrote a book called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. It's about my journey of growing up in Southern evangelical Christian culture in the height of what's known as purity culture, where I, along with millions of other angsty teens, learned a set of rules and do's and don'ts when it comes to sex, dating, intimacy, gender roles, and a lot of other things too. Only after I moved to New York City in my 20s and dated more in one year than I had dated in an entire decade did I learn something crucial. It's a lot harder to not have sex when you're actually dating. This book is my process of deconstructing the shaming sexual narratives I was given by both the church and culture, and for the first time in my life, asking Jesus, is there another way? Whether you're single, married, engaged, dating, Christian or not a Christian or somewhere in between, I believe this book will encourage you and equip you to navigate and process these layered topics with practical tools, nuance, and freedom. You can grab Sexless in the City wherever books are sold or go to sexlessinthecitybook.com to find out more. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and it is May. May 2021. I cannot believe it. What is happening? What is happening? We are here. And why I'm very excited that it is May is because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I've never done a mini-series like what we're about to do, but this entire month is going to be dedicated to mental health. So the next four episodes, all mental health. So gear up. Mental health is something near and dear to my heart. And I can't wait to really dive into this topic in a more nuanced and layered and hopefully holistic way. But before we do that, thank you so much, Newsstand Studio at One Rock Center in Manhattan for supporting and sponsoring this podcast. I am forever grateful for the team here. And also a quick shout out to Patreon, my lovely Patreon community for just being so faithful and supporting the Refined Collective on a monthly basis. You too can support the Refined Collective for as low as $5 a month. Sometimes I don't know how to say that without sounding like a used car salesman, 
But really, doing this podcast takes a village and we need your support. We value your support. So you can go to patreon.com slash the refined collective to join it and learn more about it. And then also, once you join, you get access to weekly VIP videos that I put out. Now, for this whole series in this month, we're going to be unpacking a bunch of different aspects of mental health, everything from what triggers anxiety to how do I know if it's the weather or if I'm depressed, how to take the overwhelm and mystery out of meditation, and how small everyday changes make tidal waves of impact on our mental health, and why in 2021 on the heels of a pandemic, mental care matters more than ever. Here's why it matters to me. So the past two and a half years in my life, which if you have listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know, have been some of the most painful years of my life, uh, processing and grieving the uh, relapse of my father back into drug abuse to different family dynamics that have been exacerbated because of that. And then my own personal coping mechanisms that were dormant for many, many years that came rearing their head with conviction and gusto when things unfolded with my dad in the last few years. And then let's add to that a pandemic, some autoimmune issues and fertility issues to moving cross-country mid-pandemic, to dating as a 35-year-old, to deconstructing my faith and processing the sexual scandals in the church and the painful and destructive political response from the evangelical church in the last year or so from everything from Black Lives Matter to Trump to anti-Asian hate crimes and more. And oh yeah, I just had a book come out talking about the most intimate details of my faith and sex life. So mental health is very important to me because this last year has been a huge year of me just realizing I need help. Like just because I talk about this stuff doesn't mean that I am, I have arrived. Like I realized this last year, like I'm not in a great place. Like I feel like I'm bleeding with this gaping wound and yet I have a bigger public microphone, quote unquote, than I ever have. So I recently started going back to therapy in the last few months and it has just been so game-changing and so sweet. And in that, as I was deciding whether or not to go back to therapy, I was dragging my feet. Like everyone in my personal life was like, you need to go to therapy. You are just like a ball of anger and stress and hurt. And it is like sliming everyone around you. You need to please, please go to therapy. And so I found myself asking myself, which is leading me to our guest today and the conversation today, how do I know if and when I need professional help? Like, when do I go from processing with my friends and doing breath work and meditation to realizing, you know what? I need a freaking therapist and I need one now. So I'm very, very excited to dive into this conversation with trauma therapist Kobe Campbell. I do want to give a trigger warning We are talking about mental health issues and some sensitive topics. So if you are around little ears, maybe put some headphones on, or if you need to pause and listen to this at another time when you feel like you have the capacity for it, go for it. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Kobe, I am so excited to have you here. 
This may officially be the longest intro I've ever done, but <laughs> Joe, I think Joe just shook his head yes. <laughs> but I felt like I really wanted to give this series context. So Kobe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so incredibly excited to share with you guys and to talk about some of the things you just mentioned. Yeah, and I know that you are the owner of the Healing Circle Therapy and Wellness Center in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and you provide faith-based and trauma-informed resources. But can you just unpack a little bit more about who you are and why you do what you do? Mm, absolutely. So I'm Kobe. Um, I am a mom. I am a twin. I'm married to a twin. I like to tell people that. It's always a fun fact to share. Wait, that's um, amazing. I know. Pray for my uterus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like when people ask if we're having more kids, I'm like, you don't understand what you just asked. <laughs> um, don't want to end up on a TLC show. <laughs> but um, I ended up here in this mental health field because in 2013, when I was in college, I tried to commit suicide. Mm. I had gotten to this place where I kind of just felt like life is not fun. It wasn't some big dramatic moment where I was like, this terrible thing happened and now I'm going to, you know, hurt myself in a painful way. I just kind of got really tired um, of the cycle of feeling like I was begging people to love me and that everyone just kept saying no, Wow. you know, in their own ways, whether verbally or non-verbally, whether explicitly or implicitly. And I just got tired and I was like, "Uh uh-uh. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. This is not fun. I went off this ride. Um, I had a miraculous encounter with the Lord. Uh, my brother, my now brother-in-law was my like really annoying Christian friend that <laughs> I would pimp out to drive me to parties and pick me up instead of paying for a taxi. <laughs> and uh, one day he texted me um, the day, the moment I was trying to commit suicide. And he said, hey, I was praying and the Lord told me that you drank some vodka and you took some pills. And he told me to tell you not to go to sleep because that's how I plan to do it. I don't like pain. And um, he told me to tell you not to go to sleep because he has a purpose for your life. And that was like the first time I ever felt like there was a God who like saw me, which was a beautiful, powerful moment. The next morning I went to church and cried and gave my life to Christ. And like all was beautiful for a swift four weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was like depression came back, anxiety came back. And I was like, hold up a minute. If this Jesus is supposed to change something, why are some things not changing? Mm. Why are some things staying the same? And um, as much as I loved my Christian community and as much as I loved the church I was a part of, it felt like no one had an answer, answer for why Jesus could be good and an answer for why the cross mattered and why the cross changed things for our present reality, but I was still depressed and anxious. Like, it felt like no one had an answer. So I started going to um, a Christian counselor right across from campus. Shout out to Brooke. Brooke was an amazing therapist. And I felt like that was the very tip of the iceberg of how I saw how mental health was a provision. Rather, there was there was biblical, spiritual provision that God made for the mental health issues I was dealing with personally. Mm. And just because people didn't have the answers didn't mean that there weren't answers. Um, And so I decided I'm going to find out what these answers are. Mm. So um, I went to grad school. I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and I got my Master's of Arts in Christian Counseling, um, which is kind of like a baby theological certificate degree alongside like all the requirements for being licensed by the state to become a therapist. And 
the entire time to this day, I'm still in therapy. So mm. it's been about eight years that I've been in therapy. Wow. Um, I'm in my individual therapy. My husband's in his individual therapy. And then we're both in couples therapy. So wow. the profession is getting our coins. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> they are. And it's coins well spent. Um, so as I'm in, in uh, school and as I'm going through my own therapy, I'm realizing a lot of what makes up for my everyday quirks are really rooted in pretty deep and insidious trauma Mm. Um, and trauma that was really unassuming. Like, you know, we think trauma, we think sexual assault, we think car crash, we think war, we think military, we think PTSD, but really small traumas like betrayal, small traumas like bullying Mm. that persist in adulthood, right? And I say small because society says they're small, but man, they have a big impact on the way Mm. that we perceive ourselves, the world, and our relationship with God. And so that's kind of what I work on with people most is the emotional, relational traumas that affect their everyday lives. Mm, That's so good. And thanks for sharing that. And gosh, I just first want to acknowledge like, wow, what an overcomer you Mm. were in a moment, in a time of not wanting to live and you moved through that. Mm. And what a crazy story that wild that god spoke something so specific about you to another human and then mm-hmm. that that person you're now brother-in-law right yep married his twin brother <laughs> hey there that he then had the courage to act on that yeah. because i mean how many times do we get these gut checks and oh pfft, that i must be being weird or what's that about but for him to then act on that i just man i think that took a lot of courage and So thanks for sharing that. And just one clarifying question. When you said you realized there were these things about you, maybe these quirks or, oh, this is just the way I am, but they were actually trauma responses. Can you share what some of those things were? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the main one was a need for control and order. Hmm. I thought it was just a personality trait. And until I went to a therapist, I did not realize that the ways that I responded to the world around me were a reflection of me trying to soothe anxiety. Wow. I just thought there were preferences. It's like, you know, I really like things in order. Well, mm. Why? Because things just need to be in order, right? That was what I would say. Things just need to be in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I dug deeper, I found that there was a lot of um, what I experienced in childhood and in middle school and in bu- bullying, that what was most traumatic about those situations was not the actual things people said. Mm. Those That was traumatic. But what was more traumatic was that I didn't see it coming. Wow. And so I don't like being surprised. Wow. <laughs> like I don't like feeling out of control and knowing every aspect of everything. What time are we eating? What time mm-hmm. will you be there? Dinner's at seven. Are you sure you're going to be there at seven? Mm-hmm. Making sure all those answers, those um, answers were provided to me. Yeah. I just thought it was like, oh, that's just how I am. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, actually I'm experiencing crippling anxiety. Mm-hmm. The only way to soothe it is to try and make you live in a way that makes me feel more at ease. Yeah, man. I so resonate with that. And because I think, we live in a culture where it's just, well, I'm just OCD. Mm-hmm. I like to be in control or I just get stressed out about these things. And I feel like we so normalize stress and trauma yeah. 
and even trauma responses. Just like you said, this is just the way I am. This is how it is. Mm -hmm. I just like a clean house. And without being curious about what's underneath that, for me, when my dad uh, relapsed a few years ago, I've always liked to have a clean space, but not like in a crazy, oh my gosh, like I can't go to sleep if there's dust under the bed, not like that. But I didn't realize until maybe about four months after his relapse that I had kind of gone to crazy town about cleaning my space. Mm-hmm. My poor roommate, I had a brand new roommate and I was just a monster <laughs> because I was like, she's a hoarder. She's so messy. She can't live mm. here. And I knew something was coming up for me, but I just, I couldn't connect to it until after it was months and months later when we actually had stopped living together. And I was um, like, oh my gosh, my life felt so out of control yeah, and so messy and so yeah. unsafe that my home, especially living in New York City, felt like I wanted it to be a sanctuary and really safe because New York City can, you know, it's it's very, it can be very hectic energy. Yeah. But I realized, oh, I just felt like this was the only thing I could control because I felt so out of control in every other area. So yeah. yes, it's nice to have a clean space and respect the things that we buy and take care of them. But I think you just bring up a really good point of, being curious about what's the driving force underneath the action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you even say, you say something like there's no healing without honesty. Yeah. And so how does that, like, can you unpack that a little bit more? Uh, Yes. I love to talk about this because I think that the greatest barrier to true and authentic healing is embarrassment. Hmm. We don't, we don't choose what we feel about things. We do choose how we respond to how we feel, Mm. right? But but our emotional responses to things are automatic responses. And so oftentimes we can feel something so deeply about a situation or a thing or a person that the world says is trivial. Mm. Why do you care? You don't even know them. They didn't mean to, but you know they love you, right? And because... We're hearing all these things externally that tell us essentially why we shouldn't feel deeply about something that we automatically have already felt deeply about. We begin to internally invalidate why should we why we should express the reality of what we feel. Mm. Right? Why should we express that? Like, so one of the moments that I love to use an example, me and my husband got married um, five years now. But before we got married, um, I went to his family's Easter gathering at one of his aunt's houses. And we walked into the door. Rather, we walk in and we're at like this kind of door opening and everyone's sitting down and I'm like extremely nervous, like pits are on a thousand (laughs) and (laughs) I am like terrified. And he doesn't say a word, doesn't say like, hey, everyone, here's goodbye, you know, whatever. Um, he just walks in and sits down at the only empty seat. Oh gosh. And I froze and I stood there and I was like, it's just me. Where do I go? Am I supposed to sit somewhere? Why? No one's saying hello. Am I supposed to introduce myself? Why didn't he introduce me? I can't believe he just left me here at the door, you know? And my mind is going to all these places, but I remember in that moment feeling one frozen Two, feeling an overwhelming rage. Mm. 
Mm. And I was so embarrassed to talk about why it affected me so much um until I got into therapy and was like well you're legally bound not to laugh at me so (laughs) here's my here's my stuff and I shared it with my therapist at the time and she was like oh so what you're experiencing is called being triggered Hmm. now for many of us we think that being triggered is remembering something really bad that happened to us in the past but being triggered is re-experiencing something bad that happened to us in the past, meaning that our present bodies are responding to our present situation the same way it did to a past traumatic situation. Mm. And we can't control it. Mm. Anytime we experience that inexplicable rage, sadness, frustration, betrayal, to something that even we think it's not really important when we look at it from a more objective eye, we're probably being triggered, right? So here's the thing. For us to be triggered in the moment does not mean we have to know what is triggering us. And I think that's a, a huge misconception in pop culture. It's like, I was triggered because this reminds me of blank. You can be triggered and have a deep, deep emotional response, a deep, Mm. deep biological and neurological response to something and have no clue what it's triggering. Mm. That's why it's so important to have someone who is a professional who understands and who can ask the right questions so that we can get on the right trail and path to figure out what's the starting point of that sadness, rage, frustration. And I bring that up because for many of us, we don't want to be honest about what actually hurts our feelings because we feel embarrassed by it. Mm. And we have this idea that like my soul is supposed to, to magically morph into this, this sense of societal maturity where I'm unaffected by things because I'm older. Wow. Like my, your brain does not magically develop an aversion to being hurt by things just because it's existed longer. Mm. What hurts you in the past unaddressed is going to hurt you when you're older. I've sat in a room with a 68 year old client who wept for the first time because he missed his daddy who passed away at four. Mm. The deep, 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 deep wounds that we feel do not disappear. And um, I like to talk about this. I was telling my husband this literally yesterday um, in my head, like I read the Bible and I just imagine like these Bible characters on my couch mm. <laughs> across from me talking to them. And he's like, Oh, like, like, give me an example. And I'm like, like King David, King David, when, you know, they come looking for a King, he's away from all of his brothers. He's isolated. Right. And they have to go get him because he's not even, he's not even lined up as one mm. of the sons of Jesse. But then. He slays a giant and he becomes a beautiful musician. He becomes a powerful and highly revered king. He becomes an amazing poet. But when he dies, what is he still dealing with? He's dealing with intimacy, right? But he's dealing with a really specific flavor of intimacy. So relationship between parent and child is non-reciprocal meaning that the parent has a responsibility that the child doesn't have to the relationship, right? So what does King David deal with later? He deals with 
non-reciprocal relationships. He wants an intimacy from these women, right, that leaves him in a position where he's not responsible for the weight of what comes with that intimacy. Mm. He only wants them physically. He only wants a part of them. He wants to engage with them in a way that doesn't leave him responsible. And I'm convinced that King David died the same longing little boy that he was when they came looking for a king. Age does not resolve our trauma. And many of us have been convinced of that. And because we've waited so long to share what hurts our feelings and what breaks our heart, we become too embarrassed to be honest about what really hurts us. Yeah. And so we hear and say things like, time heals all. Oh my gosh. Yeah, or like, you just need time. You just need time. And Mm -hmm. maybe I need time to like cool down and process, but time alone does not heal. In fact, what you're saying is that it doesn't go anywhere. It stays. Yep, yep, yep. Time can distract us, but that's about it. Oh, that's good. Say that again. Time can distract us, but that's about it. He Mm. became a master of many things, Mm. but still unhealed. Wow. So... When is it time to go from processing with friends to someone professional? Or like, you want to know when I knew I needed professional help a couple months ago? When? I got in a DM fight with a stranger. (laughs) Your angel was like, who's next? Someone I didn't (laughs) even know. I didn't even follow this person. In fact, I sought them out because someone posted something. They said that it was so problematic in my opinion. So what Um, I do, I slid into their DMs and sent them a voice memo. (laughs) And turned up. I am in a dark place and I am angry. It is spilling out of me sideways. I need help. Yeah. (laughs) So I I knew that I needed something then, but maybe for the person who is not yelling at people over DMs, (laughs) (laughs) how do they know that it's time to go to someone? Yeah. Uh, I have two answers for that. One, if you just want to. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be in crisis to go to therapy. Therapy can be a preventative measure. And honestly, I think it works best as a preventative measure. If there are Mm -hmm. things that you're recurringly processing with your friends, maybe you should process them with a professional, Mm -hmm. you know? If you have the resources, why not? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like my first answer is like therapies for whoever wants to go. Um, Second answer I often say, if you experience the same thing over and over in different seasons, different locations, and with different people, you probably need to go to therapy, Hmm. right? We all have that, like, no matter where I go, I can never find a friend who is loyal. Wow. No matter what happens, I always end up with a guy who's noncommittal. No matter what I do, I always end up at a job where I just feel like they don't see my work. Well, maybe it's time to go to therapy because sometimes you can be too close to see the full picture and many of us are. Hmm. That's good. So when you realize, oh, I'm the common denominator, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all these things Mm -hmm. keep happening to me. Yeah. And that's not even an indictment. It's not Mm -hmm. even that like, oh, you're the problem. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a part of you that you're exposing prematurely or too, too deeply or or too seldomly to people that you don't even realize. Um, and maybe there's something that you offer that people are longing to take advantage of. And so it doesn't always mean that you're the problem, but uh-huh. it does mean maybe there's something that you need to change or shift. 
product. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. In that, what is the difference between, I feel like there's so many different types of therapists. Like you do trauma therapy. Is trauma therapy different from a quote unquote normal therapist? And then do you know what's also the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say there are lots of different types of therapy. um, And think of it as a doctor. They've all gone to medical school, but they specialize in different things. You might have an orthopedic doctor. You might have an ear, nose, throat. You might have a uh, family practitioner. Um, And I would say that like therapy just straight up is like going to your family doctor. Mm. They can tell you generally what's wrong and what's going on with kind of like the surface stuff, like, you know, a cold, a flu. Um, I would say like um, depression and anxiety are like the cold and flus of the soul. So they, they deal mostly with those things. But if you have really specialized things like um, sexual assault, um, complex trauma, meaning different types of trauma in different types of ways, um, grief, maybe family issues, um, couples therapists. Those are people that can provide you with the, you know, hey, I can deal with depression, anxiety, but really their niche and their specialty is dealing with people who um, are struggling with a specific type of pain. Mm. And so for me, the type of people that I see are people who um, are realizing that they're having really, really deep and abiding um, responses to maybe really pedestrian and regular um, stimuli in their everyday life. And they're just like, something's wrong and I don't know what it is. I get a lot of those. And then also Mm. people who are like, I know this trauma. I remember this trauma and I need to deal with it. Um, So I deal with those. And then also the difference between a psychiatrist and a therapist, which is a really great question because I think sometimes it's easy to mix those up. So a psychiatrist um, is a medical doctor. So They are in the mental health field, but they're also in the medical field. They can provide therapy, but they typically don't. Um, And the key thing is they are able to prescribe medication. So a lot of people have a mental health therapist who can have um, several different types of degrees. And if they are at a place where they feel like they need medication to manage whatever um, they're going through, then they would go see a psychiatrist Mm. who can prescribe to them medication. They also give official diagnoses. Um, They can kind of go more in depth about some of the mental illnesses that someone may experience. But a therapist usually does more of the weekly, bi-weekly, monthly talk therapy. Mm, Okay. That's really helpful. I've had psychiatrists on here before and in the back of my head, I'm like, what are they? Why didn't I ask them? What (laughs) What do you do? What do you do? I'm so confused. Because in my head, I thought it was interchangeable. And so that's really Mm. helpful. What are your thoughts on getting on anti-anxiety or anti-depression medication? Like, is there a time where you think that's a win? Are there other times where you think it could not be a loss, but maybe not the, the best idea? Yeah, I think uh, yes to both. So Mm -hmm. I think that, um, so oftentimes people like to think about things as either fully social or fully biological. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my mom has a history of depression or anxiety or my dad struggled with this. Um, When really it's both. So Mm -hmm. the way that we socially interact affects the way our brain as an organ functions. So someone who has experienced um, persistent um, trauma, 
may need medication to regulate some of the brain's hormonal imbalances Mm. so that they can experience joy on a normal and regular basis. Um, I would say also, and there are a lot of people who have success with that, a ton of people. And I I wish the stigma, especially in church, would be decreased because I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, God made all the compounds that come together miraculously to solve your specific problem. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a miracle to me. Um, (laughs) Louder for the people in the back. (laughs) That sounds like a miracle to me. (laughs) Um, But also, um, it is trial and error. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one thing that people who are willing to go into it sometimes come out saying, like speaking against it. I think that's the one thing that they wish someone would have told them. Mm. That like, we all have... um, we all have different chemistry, body chemistry. Our bodies all respond to things differently. So a medication that works for me may not work for someone else. And oftentimes the process of trying a medication for long enough to see if it works, dealing with side effects, getting off of it, trying another medication can be really emotionally exhausting for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everyone deals with that. Some people, I'm telling you, they just get the the perfect pill and and it's not going to solve your social problems. It's not going to do any of that, but it is going to set you up neurologically, biologically to be able to experience joy when you have been able to do the work externally to make room for it. Yeah. That's really helpful to hear and helpful even just from your perspective of being a person of faith and not demonizing medication. And when I started struggling with really, really painful and like debilitating anxiety attacks about five years ago, and... Mm -hmm. I felt very afraid of getting on medication. Yeah. Like I didn't want to be on medication for the rest of my life. And then I had heard, you know, kind of horror stories of of the process of that one didn't work and it made my anxiety worse. And I was in such a hard place that I just couldn't wrap my head around doing something that would make things worse. (laughs) Mm. And so I opted for, I went to a holistic nutritionist and I did like a supplemental route and that really supported me. And then I, I moved through that. And then last year it came rearing its ugly head again. And it was in the wakes of all this family stuff that I was going through. And I finally got to the point where I was like, like, I am doing everything on my own. Like I'm Mm. doing the therapy. I've cut out alcohol. I've cut out caffeine. I've cut out sugar. I'm doing like all of these natural things and it's still there. Like it's time for me to get meds. Honestly felt like, you know, when people are like, we're going to like give up having a baby and then they're like, oh, we got pregnant. Like I'm getting meds. Like I don't care at this point. Like I need them. And then my anxiety subsided. So I didn't end up getting on them, but I felt like it was important for me to finally get to a point in the story where I was open because I think I felt so scared of becoming dependent on them that I was always against them. Yeah. And a resource I think that people should know about and understand is um, that like there are MDs who are medical doctors, but there are also DOs who are doctors um, of osteopathic medicine. And there's actually a way for you to go to a DO and they'll take a blood sample and just from your blood sample and your DNA, they can tell you before you get on any medications, what medications will interact negatively with your, with you. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Is there a specific test that you have to ask for in that or? 
So um, I forgot the name of it, but I, I knew because um, one of my good friends is a DO and um, we worked together. So anytime I had anyone who may need to get prescribed anything, I referred them to her and you know, she would walk me through the process like, hey, this is what I do. I ask them what their family history is. And then I also like take this blood test and this blood test will tell them like, mm, nope, that's oh. not going to work. Mm, that's going to interact poorly with them. And what it does is it narrows down the amount of medications that you would be huh. trying, which also decreases the likelihood that you have a poor reaction to it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's so cool. What does a DO stand for? Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. Doctor of Osteopathic. So okay. they pretty much go to medical school like um, MDs, but then they get, from my understanding, um, more hours specifically in natural remedies hmm. to um, everyday ailments. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's super helpful. I feel like that sounds like something I would really be interested in. Oh, yeah. For me, in finding a therapist, I had a therapist last year. It wasn't a really good fit. And there was mm -hmm. nothing like wrong or off about the person. It just wasn't a good fit. And then I also have a really good friend in my life who had a traumatizing experience with a therapist where it was just a really, really bad fit. And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, I've had experiences like that. People have had experiences like that. And so even in me being like, I need to get help this year, it felt like this overwhelming hill to climb to be like, where do I even look? I felt like mm. I was looking for a needle in the haystack. And then I was yeah. like, I'm already at capacity. Like, I feel like I'm like gushing blood and I need a therapist. <laughs> yeah. How do you find a therapist that's a good fit for you? And are there like websites you would suggest or like mm -hmm. questions you could ask them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, but I want to say first, as mm -hmm. a therapist, it's also been really hard to find a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and I recently just found one that I thought was a good, a better fit for me. So we are all in this together. Um, so I, I would say um, Psychology Today is the first place you should get started if you're looking for a therapist. So it's pretty much the Google of therapists. Um, honestly, if a therapist is not on Psychology Today, sketchy and you might question whether they actually have the degree because um it's a search engine that has their name their degree where they got it from their license number what type of license they have and the website verifies it all wow also it has like a little blurb that has like their name and like what they do and how and you get kind of like a taste of who they are it's essentially like their bio. It's like, hey, here's who I am. This is what I do. It has their fees and their rates on there. It has what insurances they take and don't take. Um, and now since the pandemic, there are even videos where therapists will have videos where you can like click on it and they'll just kind of be like, hey, my name's Kobe. Mm. This is what I do. Um, so I would start there when looking for a therapist. Um, when you actually are thinking like, oh, this person might be a good fit, I would always, always, always ask, um, do you provide free consultations? Mm. Most therapists provide free consultations. They're not long, so it's not going to be a full session. It's usually 10 to 15 minutes. But in that 10 to 15 minutes, you get to know someone's personality. You get to figure out whether you feel comfortable with them or not. Um, you know, you get to see how they deal with awkwardness, how they respond to certain things. And in that time, you really, it's your opportunity to like rapid fire, ask them whatever you want, ask whatever mm. questions you want. Um, you know, and I think that that's a good place to 
to start as well mm. is like low risk, aka no money, mm-hmm. high reward, aka you get to interact with them and they're not a complete stranger the first time you mm. walk in and pay a hundred plus dollars. Um, way of interacting, like ask, ask, ask for a free consultation. Um, most of the time therapists want to do a free consultation because they don't want to waste their time anyways, mm. right? They want to be able to work with people that are a good fit. And so just remember most therapists want both of you guys to be a good fit. Um, you know, when you found a good therapist, when you have that feeling, when you unbutton your pants and you're like, oh, <laughs> like, that's it. That's the person, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to make you feel uncomfortable, but there's a sense of safety in that. They're going to be able to perceive things about you that you know are true, but they give you language for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should always, always, always make you feel safe. If at any moment your therapist makes you feel uncomfortable, leave. Mm-hmm. Leave. Even if it's not a valid reason, right? If, even if it's like, they used to remind me of someone I don't mm-hmm. feel safe around. That's yeah. a good enough reason. Yeah. Right. Therapy is there to help heal you, not to re-traumatize you. Mm. And if you ever feel like you have to defend the reality of your pain, run as fast as you can. Mm. Well, that's run. so helpful. So helpful. Now, what if I can't afford therapy? What if, mm. you know, because I think that's another like pain point of accessing support in professional help is, gosh, who has $150 a week? however much or $250 a week. What do you say to that? Yeah, I would say, um, ask if they provide sliding scale fees. Mm -hmm. Most do. Um, most have certain slots. So I have, um, three or four slots for reduced rates, Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that obviously I can pay my bills, but obviously that I'm giving back to the people in my community who just may be in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Also open path therapy. Open path therapy is psychology today, but for therapists who only do reduce rate. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And why? So some therapists, I'm sorry, go ahead. Why would someone want to just be an op- on open path therapy? So I would explain it like this. So the way I said that I have like four or five, um, I think I said only do reduce rate, who have reduced rate availability. That's a better way of saying it. Um, when I um, have three or four spots, I can just offer them to people I know personally via mm. um, us talking back and forth in email. Or what I can do is I can go on Open Path and advertise, hey, the Healing Circle has four spots mm. available for $30 only. And whoever gets to them gets to them, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. So it's a place for, for therapists when they have reduced rate spots to go on and advertise that so that people can come to them and know that they can um, get those spots. I think the most that therapists can charge you if you contact them through Open Path is $60. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are also a couple therapy funds. I know this is only for Black and Brown women and girls, um, but the Loveland Therapy Fund pays almost completely full rate. Um, They give vouchers. Um, Local churches often have... uh, scholarship funds. I have a couple clients that their mm-hmm. church is paying hundred percent for it. So it definitely is hard to, and when you're going through all this stuff and like, like you said, when you're bleeding out, you're not thinking about all these options because mm-hmm. it's just hard. Yeah. Right. Um, 
But it is good to remember to have, you know, those resources in mind. And I think that's why it's important to think before you're in crisis yeah, yeah. Um, to have these resources. So it's like, if I need to go in crisis, if I'm going to be someone who waits, when I'm ready to go, at least I have this list of resources mm. that I can access. Yeah. Was that Love Land Therapy Fund? Like Love mm-hmm. Land? Okay. I just want to make sure that yep. I can link that in the notes. Okay. I have yes. 10 more questions, but I'm only going to ask you like two because we're running out of time. Okay. Okay. One, is it the weather or am I depressed? Mm. How do you know if you're depressed? Yeah. Uh, I'd say both. <laughs> I think we, we love to make things either or. It can be both. It can be both, right? Um, it is okay for the weather to affect your mood. Mm-hmm. And that happens. And we are, we've all seen it, right? Mm-hmm. I would say that um, it's leaning more towards um, depression when you have symptoms that don't change with the weather. You know, you know it's the weather if your mood changes when the weather changes. Mm-hmm. Um but if there are things that persist, sleeplessness, irritability, persistent crying, spells, um, sadness, you know, being lethargic, um, feeling numb, kind of feeling like you're in a haze, hmm. um, it's probably not the weather. It's probably something a little bigger than that that you may need professional hmm. support for and deserve professional support for. Hmm. Oh, that's really helpful. I'm getting a free hour-long consultation <laughs> with yeah. you. Take it, girl. Take it. it, Okay. And then one last question for you, kind of re-centering it on like our faith in God. How Mm. is God offering you tenderness in this time? Mm. I think that God is offering me tenderness in this season by seeing just how good it is to be myself. Um, I recently hosted a retreat and like, I was like, you know what, if the Holy Spirit lives in me and I'm his home and I just like get to live my life, then my, my life, if I'm surrendered to the Lord, it should be influenced. My everyday interaction should be influenced by God. Mm. And so the entire retreat, I decided I was not going to do anything out of fear or out of shame. Wow. And it was the most transformative retreat for me and for the eight amazing women who trusted me um, to come out to a beach house and deal with their trauma and seek the Lord. And it was like, oh God, you don't hate me. You actually love me. Mm. Like as I am. Yeah. And that is the tenderness that God has been been offering to me lately. That's so beautiful. And I guess that's maybe just a question for me to think about. And if you're listening, what is a tenderness that God is offering you or inviting you into in your life? Mm. And I think when I'm in a hard place, all I can see is the hard stuff. And so maybe even just to pause and just like hold space for the possibility that tenderness might also exist at the same time that really, really hard things exist. Yeah. And even that, um, God is not demanding that you move from that mm. hard place before he gives you yeah. good things. Oh, that's so good. Kobe, thank you so much mm. for your heart and your wisdom. Mm. This has been so yeah. helpful for me. I'm like, feel so grateful that we've got <laughs> to connect and I can't wait to connect with you again. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking yeah. to you. Thank you. And where can people 
stay in touch with you, find out about your offerings, your retreats, workshops? Yeah, absolutely. You can um, stay in touch with me on Instagram at Healing Circle Podcast. Uh, my private practice Instagram is Healing Circle Therapy. Um, and if you want to get more connected about the retreat and workshops, you can also visit our website at www.kchealingcircle.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. You don't have to be in crisis to go to therapy. It can be a preventative measure. Therapy is for whoever wants to go. When Kobe said that stuff in our conversation, it felt so freeing to me. Like I've gone to therapy off and on for many years. And even in that, it felt like it gave me a sense of permission. So maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you are in crisis and you're like, okay, I was DMing people on the internet and (laughs) getting invites. I need to go to therapy. That's you. You have the permission. If you feel like, you know what, there's nothing really big going on in my life, but perhaps that could still feel like a win for me. You have the permission. So I'm just so grateful for humans like Kobe and her commitment to wholeness, to mental health. And this whole month, get excited, every week is going to be something specific about mental health. I can't wait for next week. Next week is a solo show. Hello, you get me for the whole time. And I'm talking all about how to identify anxiety and trauma triggers and how to set yourself up for success outside of the moment. So stay tuned for that next week.